Let me begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, you are a good God who teaches us through your word. You speak to us. Though we are weak and frail and dependent, though we are sinful, though we fall far short of your glory, we understand your grace and your mercy to us only through your word and through your son. And so we just ask that even now you would be gracious to us as we read and as we desire to glean from your word some great truth for our lives that we might live for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 113, says this, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. This is God's Word. Here we note a, a number of things that this psalm can teach us, that, that is good for us to learn, to know, to, to take from this Word to be transformed. You look at beginning there in verse 113, David says, I hate the double-minded. Oh, why would he say that? Why would he say that he hates the double-minded? Those who are specific people that he, he classifies as the double-minded, why would he hate them? Well, you can conclude by the second half of his sentence there, but I love your law. So there are people then who do not love the law of God. These double-minded are described elsewhere in Scripture as those of having two opinions. Those who have two opinions. In 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 21, it says this, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the, and the people did not answer him a word. The image there is they are limping back and forth between two, two opinions, two positions, whatever would make them feel the best at the moment, they would go for it. They would do whatever was convenient. They would go with whatever the flow was at the time. And he says, enough is enough. If the Lord is God, follow him full-heartedly with, with all your might. Don't go back and forth between your two differing views. Don't do that. You, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve two ways. You can't go two directions at the same time. The double-minded are exactly that. They, they 
God's convenient for a moment, now he's not convenient. I like God, well, I don't like God. God's great, oh, but God's kind of judgmental. The double-minded here, he says, I, I hate that. I hate that. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's, do you love the world or do you not love the world? Are you following this way or are you following that way? It says, I, I hate the double-minded. And, and why would he hate other people who are double-minded or who act that way? Why would he say, I, I, I can't be with them, I, I, I can't stand to be near them? Well, if he, as a believer of God, as, as a one who wants to live for God... If there are vain things, useless things, there's false philosophies, false gospels, if there are things that are not true, he's, he's going to despise them. He's going to say, that, I don't like that. I hate it. Well, also then, those who practice such things, he says, I, I can't put up with them. I will not be partaker with them. I will not participate with them. Here's the thing. It's not just the double-minded out there that we need to be aware of. These first three verses give us a warning system. A warning system to not just look outside, but to also look within. The double-minded within ourselves. Our sometimes love of the world, what we say we love God. We love our own sinfulness, but yet we... We want to pursue Jesus. We have this inward struggle, this battle of double-mindedness every single day. You have it, and so do I. We have this double-mindedness. And the problem with the double-mindedness is it keeps us from the law of God. It keeps us from the Word of God. It distracts us. Sometimes your battle with sin is so distracting that you neglect the Word of God. Sometimes you are so guilt-ridden because of your struggle with sin that you think God will never accept you in this moment. You, why would you come to God in prayer? He's not, he doesn't have the time of day for you, a person like you. There's no way there's forgiveness this time. You've done it a hundred times. There's no way. God will never welcome you back in. But that's where the double-mindedness comes in. That's, that's a lie when the Bible, the law, is truth. And that's why David says, I, I love your law. Because it is contrary to the, to the double-mindedness. It is, it is a one-way kind of system. It is follow God or follow the things of the world. Be a friend of God or be a friend of the world. It is yes or no. It is you are with Jesus or you are not with Jesus. It is you are under the, the cross of Christ or you are under the curse of God. One way or another. Jesus says, I'm the way. It's not, there are many paths that lead to God. It is not that you can have whatever way, be the best person you can be, and eventually you're going to get to heaven. That's not how the Bible says it. The Bible says that there is a singular way, and then the way is through Christ in order to be made right for your sin, in order to be made right with God for all of eternity. There is a, a single way. The Word of God shows us that way, but our double-mindedness, keeps us from that. And so David says, I hate the double-minded. And, and just that I detest being in the presence of because they are leading me to falsehood. It's leading me to disbelieve my God. And so hate that very thing, not just out there, but 
have the warning system or realize that's inside of me too. That you read Romans chapter 7 and you just see that struggle, right? Paul says, the good that I know I ought to do, I don't do. Like, what? Why do I have this struggle with sin all the time? I know and I want to do what is right, but I just, I'm over here doing other things. Like this is this, this double-mindedness, this, two, this two-way kind of living. And we ought to have a hatred for that in ourselves and say, I hate that way of living. It's a destructive way of living. I, I love your law. I want to pursue your law. That, that, that's a, a goal, a pursuit here. At the end of all of these verses here in 13, 14, 15, these kind of warning verses, he has this desired pursuit. First, in, in 113, he says, I love your law. That's the desired pursuit there, is a love of God's word, an affection for God's word that outweighs an affection for the world or the other choices. Just this love that is drawing him to do and to live a certain way. The love, obviously, is a response to we love because God first loved us through his son. It's not a, I love God's law so that he will finally accept me. No, no, no. Don't ever read the, a love for God or obedience for God in that way. Obedience for God in scripture is always a, a response to what God has done already. Uh, not in order to, to, to bend God's hand to make, you, make him do what you please. So here, this first warning is the double-mindedness, and he says, I, I hate it because it keeps me from loving your law. Uh, second, in, in 114, he says, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. A hiding place and a shield is he needs refuge. He needs a place of safety to go to because, why? He's in a place of danger. It is dangerous waters out there. He is in rough See, with this double-mindedness out there, a double-mindedness inside, here is in a real turmoil. David was physically in danger, being pursued hotly to be put to death, but in the same ways, spiritually in danger, as you and I are so often, where we need a hiding place. We need a place of, of rest, a place of comfort, a place of, of um, safety, and rescue. And when we come to see that, we come to realize, like, I need rescue. I am treading water here. I'm trying to do this thing, and I, I'm coming to the realization that in all of my effort, in all of my strength, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. I, I can't keep my head above water. My, my flesh is really strong. My desires are so wrong, and I keep on sinning again and again and again. I need Safety. I need a shield because the enemy is firing some darts at me and they're hitting me hard and I'm failing and I'm not defending them. So I, I need a hiding place. I need a shield. There's this warning of danger. And the desired pursuit here you see at the end of verse 114 is I hope in your word. Like that's my hope. That's telling me, that's giving me the refuge that I need. That, that's pointing me to the place of safety, the rock on which I can stand, uh, the, the shelter in which I can hide myself, the wing that I can climb under, the cross that I can approach. The Word points us there. And so the Word is our hope to any sort of hiding place or shields. The very things we need when we realize the warnings within its word, within it, that tells us of all of these dangers. 
See in verse 115, it says, Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. In other words, he's saying there are people in my life that are preventing me from obeying the commandments of God. There are things in my world that are preventing me from honoring God like I should, from obeying God like I should. And so what, what these warnings should teach us is that we want to depart from them. We want to sever ties with them. That's why scripture gives strong warnings to two unmarried um, unbelie- uh, believers. It says, like, do not yoke yourselves. Do not yoke yourself with an unbeliever. How can you mix salt water and fresh water and expect it to be unaffected? You can't do that. You can't have oily water and clean water and, and mix them and think that, that it's still drinkable. It, it's not. And so here he says, Depart from me, you evildoers, so that I may keep the commandments of my God. You may have your God over there. You may have your double-mindedness, but that is not my God. And I don't want to be prevented from obeying my God. And so his desired pursuit at the end of 115 here is obedience. 113 is love for the law. 114 is hope in the word. And 115 is obedience to the commandments of his God. Love, hope, obedience. Those are his desired pursuits. And he sees here that there are some evildoers, some things preventing him from obeying God. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So that's why David says in 115 there, Depart from me, you evildoers. I don't want friendship with the world if it means that I am at war with God. If that's what that means, I will sever all of those relationships. I will not partner myself in any significant way uh, to, to an unbelieving uh, ideology or mindset or, or policy or, or anything that's going to lead me to friendship with the world, opposed to obedience to our great God. Depart from me, you evildoers. It says in 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. So here, we see these desired pursuits of love for the law, of hope in the word, of obedience, and we may desire those things, especially obedience, but we must recognize, based on these warnings, that we're actually incapable of keeping the commandments. As it says, you know, verse 115, I, I want to keep the commandments of my God. Well, you'll fail. You'll fail at keeping the commandments of the God. And if you don't, if you don't think you have failed or you will fail or you continue to fail, um, you're deceiving yourself. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We know that until the day of redemption, until God has called us home to be with himself, we will continue in this ongoing struggle and warfare with sin. And so we're going to struggle to obey and keep His commandments. We desire it, but we can't do it. We can't do it. 
But that's where you see not just warnings in this passage, you see dependence in this passage. Look at verses 16 and 117. He says, Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. And then in verse 117, Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. We need His grace. If we are going to love His Word, if you're going to hope in His Word, if you're going to obey His Word, because we are prone to double-mindedness. And so David, recognizing this within himself, cries out, Uphold me, God. Uphold me, God. Pull me out. Keep me afloat. Bring me along. Make me live. Without Him doing that for you, you are a drowned rat. It says, uphold me according to your promise. And then verse 117, hold me up that I may be safe. This is admitting weakness. Something that some of us is not very good at. We do not like to admit that we are weak, that we are unable, that we have an inability. Some of us don't like to, to admit that we don't have control of everything that we can't even control that area of our lives. We, we don't like to admit that we need help, but we do. We do. We ought to pray in this way. We ought to live in this way, a life of utter dependence upon God. Uphold me, because I know that I'm prone to double-mindedness. I, I, I know that I'm in a dangerous place. I know that there are, are evildoers uh, about me and, and even my own wicked inclinations within me help me, uphold me. This is a difficult time. If I want to walk in a way that honors the Lord, I'm going to need His help. I cannot do it on my own strength. It says, uphold me. Let me not be put to shame in my hope. And then hold me up that I may be safe and have regard, have reverence, have obedience for your statutes continually. That's what I want to do. I want to live for you. But I can only do it with your help. Because there's a dreadful truth that comes next in the next two verses. Verse 118 and 119 says, You spurn all who go astray. From your statutes. For their cunning or their deceit is in vain. And verse 119 All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, you remove like dross. Like, because those two verses go together really well, dross and vanity in verse 118 is just kind of the useless stuff. And so it's just terrifying. It's terrifying. These are dreadful truths that God spurns those who go astray. But as we've already reflected upon in verses 113, 114, 115, we go astray. We go astray. We are utterly weak. We are utterly dependent. We fall and we fail. All the time. And so when it says, you spurn all who go astray from your statutes, and you discard them, the wicked, you remove them, 
That's terrifying because we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. These two verses should terrify us as they did David. Hence why you see his response and his resolve in verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you. And I am afraid of your judgments. My flesh trembles. The hair on my body stands up in terror is the same concept. I am terrified. I'm afraid of your judgments. Crazy truth is we've lost this in today. Our age has lost this fear of God. Too many of us want to focus on the friendship of God to the neglect of a reverence for God. Want to just focus on the friendship of God. And we neglect the reverence of God that, that He is owed, that He deserves as judge, as king over all, as creator, as maker, as holy, holy, holy. We've lost this. We approach God flippantly when we should approach Him fearfully. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. He says, I tremble for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgments. We've lost this today. But does this mean that we're to live our lives cowering up to God? Never even approaching Him in prayer? Does that mean that? Or that we're afraid to approach our Father like He is some sort of tyrant or a man with an aggression issue? No. But only because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. It's through Christ, through Christ we approach God with confidence. We can stand rather than cower, rather than crawl, rather than tremble at a distance and say, I'm never going in there to my Father. Through Christ we come with confidence and say, I love you and I've screwed up. It's because we know who God is. We, we know who God is through Christ. That yes, He is judge and will judge sin. But if you're in Christ, it's already been dealt with. He's already judged sin in His own Son. So that through Christ, you may come and say, I'm desperate in need of mercy. I'm in need of grace because I've screwed up again and again and again. And what we receive is embrace through Jesus. Only because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself, bore it on his own self, so that when we come on the other side of the cross, God sees us as righteous in Christ. Righteous in Christ. Clothed in his righteous robes. That we approach him still with humility, still with dependence, but as one with confidence so that we may find mercy and find grace. Jesus, the high priest who has offered up his own life so that we can approach 
God, that we could be covered in His grace, under the shadow of His wing, protected and shielded by the Lord Jesus. If you don't come through Jesus, you ought to tremble. So, you know, some people will joke about you know, being struck by lightning going to church or the, the roof collapsing. You know, they're joking about something that is serious. You should tremble at the judgment of God. He, he could strike you with a bolt of lightning this instant. We all deserve death because we have spat in the very face of God. He could strike us in a moment and he should. That's what we all deserve. But through Jesus Christ, as we admit, that's all we deserve, and that's what we admit and we know it, we come to Jesus and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. So it's through Jesus that we have this protection, this shield. Read back again to verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. It's beautiful. So there's got to be a, a strike, a balance. Let us, by God's grace, have a proper balance. An appropriate self-evaluation. And to know that we have this inclination towards double-mindedness, towards sin. We have this appropriate understanding that we are dependent on God's grace. Verse 115 and one, uh, sorry, 116 and 117. God uphold me. It's only by your grace. It's only by you giving me what I do not deserve. You strengthening me. You providing for me. You keeping me afloat. It's only by His grace. We're dependent on God's grace. We dread His judgment. That's appropriate. That we ought to dredge the judgment of God. We ought to tremble when we think about the judgment of God. If that is for us, we are lost. I always tremble when I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. That's where many came to the Lord Jesus Christ as they had died. And they came and they said, Lord, Lord, like let us in. Like We're here. We've arrived. We're getting to heaven. Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, you, you, you are wicked people. I'm just discarding you like dross. I never knew you. And these are people, that, and they come back and they say, well, well, didn't we say the right things? Didn't we go to church and do Christian kind of things? And didn't we show up? And, and didn't we even like serve the church and go on mission trips and do whatever? Didn't matter. It wasn't about what you have done. It's about who Christ is to you. And so that ought to make us tremble. Like, am I living my life as that person who thinks I'm getting it all because I'm doing, and I got my checklist, and I think I'm pretty darn good. I think I got all the Christian boxes checked. So then when I get to heaven and, and I say, uh, let me in, look, here's my list, uh, it ought to make me tremble thinking about that day. That, that that could be me. I'm prone to that too. And so that ought to make you tremble. But then, not only do I dread the judgment, but I delight in mercy. I delight in the word of God, which teaches me that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me. And I come through, through Christ that he is the way. He is the way. Not what I've done, not my list, not my checkboxes, but Christ. When I found in him, then I can approach with confidence and say, I'm only here because of him. I'm only here because of him. I deserve death and judgment for eternity. But you've been so gracious. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. I was once your enemy, but now I'm seated at the table because of Jesus. So I delight 
in God's mercy. That's what this passage teaches us. is a proper balance of the, the double-minded warning, the dependence on God's grace, the dread of judgment, but then the delight in mercy, that he is my shield and my hiding place. May we be people who have this proper balance within us, not just assuming on the grace of God, not just thinking light of his judgment so that we approach him flippantly. Let's approach him fearfully with, with respect and honor do his name, but approach him with confidence because of what we believe to be true about Christ, that he is God, died in my place, that that was sufficient, and now he lives again, interceding for me at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. If you believe that truth, you can have a proper balance in your life of fear and trembling and utter gratitude for his grace. Let's be those people who walk with God in this sort of way. And then we have this desired pursuit for the love of God and his word, for the hope in his word, and for obedience in keeping his commandments. We want to do this as a way of saying thank you for grace. Let's pray. Father, we don't deserve to even speak to you. We don't deserve your word. We don't deserve to live and breathe. We don't deserve to even have a hope of heaven because of the wickedness within us, the wickedness that we have acted upon in our own lives, how we've sinned against you and, and put you aside for many other things. We deserve not even to be able to approach you, but by your grace, by what we do not deserve, you have come to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and have entered into a relationship with us by dying for us, and making us alive to that reality as we cling to it, as we trust in faith upon it. Thank you. Make us people who are properly balanced in our dread of your judgment, but in our delight of your mercy. We want to live this way. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.